when Pastor Chuck uh, called me yesterday and let me know, man, I, this flu is not going away. And in fact, it's probably worse in day three than it, than it was on one or two. And um, he said, I'm going to need you to step in and I'm going to need you to, to preach for me. Um, and he began to talk about today and the message that God had laid on his heart for today. And there was such passion and urgency. Uh, he, he seriously was just absolutely torn up that he could not be here today because of how bad he wanted you guys to hear this message. Please know this. Uh, your pastor loves you tremendously. And most people don't realize how much time he spends praying for you, how much time he spends thinking about you. And these messages aren't just something that he's like, ah, I'll just speak on this today. He's praying, God, give me a word for our people today. And so know that, that as I, I bring this message today, I kind of feel a great deal of responsibility to communicate it with the urgency with which your pastor wants you to hear from the Lord today. So let me pray one more time and then we'll jump in. Father God, we thank you for your love and your goodness. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your truth and your incredible love today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story of a of a woman and her grandmother, and they were sitting on the front porch discussing a member of their family who had strayed away. And the young woman said, you know, he's just no good. He's completely untrustworthy, and, you know, he's lazy. He's just no good. And the grandmother said, yep, he's pretty bad, but you know what? Jesus loves him. And the young lady said, I'm... I'm not so sure about that. I mean, do you really think Jesus loves him? And the grandmother rocked a little bit and said, yep, I know, it's true. Jesus loves him. But then again, Jesus may not know him quite like we know him. You know, sometimes maybe you have felt like that person. Have you ever felt that way where people tell you, hey, God loves you? And you think, God must not know me very well. Because I know myself, and how can God love me? You know, some say that God has infinite patience, and that's a great comfort to you. Some say God is always there, and, you know, there's a deep satisfaction in in believing that he's always there. They say that God will always take you back, and sometimes you get a little bit lazy in that certainty. They say that God never gives up. And you begin to count on that. They say you can go away for years and years and he'll be there waiting when you come back. They say you can make a mistake and you can make another mistake and another mistake. And God will always forgive and forget. But you wonder would a perfect holy God who knew me. He knew me in the depths of of who I am. He knows everything I've ever done, everything I've ever thought. Would a God who knows everything about me truly want to be with me? Would he want anything to do with me? Well, that's exactly what Luke chapter 15 is all about. This is in a series of parables that Jesus tells. A parable being a, a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. 
A parable being a story that reveals great truth about the kingdom of God and also great truth about you and your role as a part of the kingdom of God. And as Zach mentioned, we see in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. We see in this context here, Jesus is getting in trouble with the, the Pharisees and the scribes because he hung out with sinful people. And they say, oh, Jesus, what are you doing, man? You need to watch what kind of company you teach, you keep, because you're out here teaching and you're speaking and you're hanging out with like the lowest of the low. Do you know who these people are? Do you know what they've done? These are the sinners. Why are you hanging out with them? And you know what? It was in response to this very accusation that Jesus told three stories. He tells the story of the lost sheep. He tells the story of the lost coin. And then he tells the story of the lost son. And Jesus uses these stories to basically say, listen, guys, I hang around with messed up people because God the Father loves them. And he, these are the very people that God wants to come home. As a matter of fact, Jesus said later on in Luke 19.10, for I have come to seek and to save the lost. It's in these stories in Luke 15 that Jesus shows us who God is and how he feels about lost people. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you the punchline of the sermon today is this. Here's a punchline of the message. Now, I don't know if this is good preaching or not to go ahead and tell you the punchline up front. But the punchline is this. The story inside the story is you. The story inside the story is you. In the first story, you're the sheep and God is the shepherd. In the second story, you are the lost coin and God is the widow. And in the third story, you're the lost son and God is the father. By looking at these stories... There are five proofs of God's love for us. Because the story inside the story is you. Let's look at these five proofs together. Sometimes I have students tell me, Tripp, how do I know that God loves me? If I could just know somehow that God loves me in spite of who I am, that God knows me intimately but yet loves me, if I could just realize or have some kind of proof of that, that then maybe I, I, I would run to him. Then maybe I would submit to him. Then, but I just have a hard time believing that God loves me because I know me. If you have something to write on, or you can follow along on the app in your notes, write down these five proofs that we see in these parables that demonstrates God's love for us. The first one is this. The story inside the story is that God will allow you to make your own choices. God will allow you to make your own choices. We see this portrayed in the third story. In Luke 15, verse 11 and 12, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
Or maybe in less polite terms, he says, Dad, I cannot wait until you die to get my inheritance. Wow. I think, and if you're a parent, try to consider how would you feel if, if, if your child told you this? You know, hey, whatever you're going to leave me when you die, I really can't wait till you die to get it. Why don't you go ahead and give me all your stuff now? Because one day you're going to die, I'll get it anyways. Well, why don't we go ahead and cash that in? Man, that, that probably stung pretty good right here. This is where it gets interesting. Remember, the story inside the story is, is you. So in verse 13, we see, after the father had divided his property between his sons, that not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living so the son gets his inheritance and what does he do he takes off he begins living it up he's probably visiting bars visiting prostitutes he engages in a lifestyle of wild living with his dad's money he wastes his money and here's the amazing part the father lets him See, I think what Jesus is communicating in this story was this. Because God loves you, he will let you go your own way. See, God respects your free will. And God will never impose his will on you. He will never make you obey him. He will never make you say yes to him. He will never make you follow him. Someone once said that God is a gentleman... He never forces himself on anyone. Well, sometimes he, he just lets us go our own way, even if it's the wrong way. And this is the story here, at least for now. I meet often with parents who are in crisis, oftentimes with their teenage child. And many times I tell them, you know what, there comes a certain time where you may just need to let your teenager feel the weight of his or her decisions. Instead of bailing them out every time and instead of trying to make everything right, sometimes they, you just need to let them feel that and experience that. There was a father one time who was getting into it with his son who was an older high school student, big old fella, and his son just refused to respect him and his dad said, I need you to do this. And he said, I ain't doing nothing. Dad said, oh, okay, I guess you're the man now. Well, yes, I am. Okay. So the dad, instead of fighting with his son, he just walked upstairs to his son's bedroom, and he went to the closet, and he grabbed a, a suitcase off the shelf, and he opened it up on the bed, and he started throwing a few items in it, and the son said, oh, 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 what are you doing? He said, well, if you're the man now, and you obviously don't need me anymore, I'm just helping you pack. And the son got furious, and the son started grabbing stuff and throwing it in the suitcase. And as the son's throwing stuff in, the dad starts pulling stuff back out. Well, what are you doing now? He said, well, this isn't yours. I bought this. This belongs to me. And before you know it, there's just a few items in this, in this bag, and, and the son zips the suitcase up, and he goes walking out the door. And he realizes quickly he doesn't have a car to drive because he doesn't own a car. He doesn't have a phone to call anyone because he don't own a phone. And the son walks around kind of aimlessly for about 30 minutes. 
Then he comes and rings the doorbell. And his first words were, Dad, I'm sorry. See, God may tell you not to do some things he wants you to do, but he won't stop you. God didn't make us his robots. See, he could have forced us to obey him, but he didn't. And like this son who took off with his suitcase, he soon realized that, you know what? The best life I can live is under the blessing and protection and provision of my father who doesn't want to punish me, but he wants the very best for me. Sometimes we got to come to the reality of that truth the hard way. But see, God doesn't want our forced or our coerced obedience. He wants us to love him. He wants us to worship him according to our own free will. So out of respect for us, he lets us make our own choices, whether to have a love relationship with him or to live our lives apart from him. Growing up, I heard a preacher one time. And he was preaching what some would consider or they would call uh, fire and brimstone preaching. You ever heard that? And this preacher was like, you need Jesus. And he's beating on the uh, podium there. And he says, uh, you need to turn or burn, get right or get left, get saved or get microwaved, you know. And uh, like, ah, I don't really get into that kind of preaching. But you know, at the heart of what he was saying, there is a truth that you have a choice. We all have a choice. We all have a choice to choose heaven or hell. Life with God, under his authority, under his provision, under his blessing, or life apart from him. See, we get to choose. Someone asked me one time, why would a loving God send someone to hell? If God is love, And God loves us so much. Why in the world would God send someone to hell? And my response was this. Sweetheart, God has never sent anyone to hell. We choose whether we go to hell or not. We send ourselves to hell whenever we reject God and his free offer of eternal life that is found in Jesus. God's not in the business of sending people to hell. God's in the business of giving us a choice or an alternative not to go there because our sin condemns us to hell. Our sin sends us there. God is offering us life and he's offering us a gift. See, it's up to us though whether we choose it. God never forces his gift on us. So God will allow us to make our own choices But God also shows us how much he values us. See, the most obvious similarity found in these parables is that in each one, something is lost. And in each case, the object lost, never lost its value to the owner. See, the shepherd could have said, well, I got 99 other sheep. Yeah, sure, one, one is gone, but I got 99 more, so why don't I just focus on the 99, and it's a shame that one took off. The woman could have said, ah, I've got nine other coins. Ah, why don't I just not worry? That coin may, may show up one day. The father could have said, well, I've got an older son. You know, I like that younger one. He was a good kid, but you know what? Ah, oh, well, he's gone. See, that's not the case. It's clearly communicated in these stories that the value was never lost. 
In the first two parables, the owner chased after what was lost until they found it. In the story of the lost son, although the father doesn't take off chasing the son, we get the impression that every day he stood on the porch and he was looking for his son, longing for his son to return to him because he loved him and he wanted relationship with him. See, I, I, I think that the essential point, this is the essential point that we find ourselves in the stories. It's so easy to consider each of these parables from the point of view of the lostness of the sinner. We think about the, the misery of the sheep being lost. We think about the hopeless condition of the coin or the, the degradation and bondage of the son as he's living in misery. But Jesus begins not with the object's loss, catch this, but with the loss sustained by the owners or the father. That is God. See, in this alone can we find the story inside the story of these parables. God is the shepherd whose sheep has wandered off. God is the widow whose coin is lost. God is the father whose son has walked away and he desperately, desperately wants him to return. See, God our creator lost something which he formerly possessed and highly valued and that is you. Do you see that you're a highly valued item to God? One of the greatest things that we focus on with students through our small group ministry that we do. And, and if you have a, a middle schooler or a high schooler not involved in small group, let me strongly encourage you at 11 o'clock to get them involved. Because one of the main themes that we try through our Grounded for Life curriculum is this. To help them discover an identity that is rooted in Christ. One in which they can see themselves as God sees them. One that they can see that no matter the condition, no matter what happens to me in life, no matter how dirty or messed up I get, I never lose my value. Because God has created me with a priceless value. See, these parables let us see how anxious God is to recover us into his care and into his Family, please hear this this morning. No matter your condition, you are invaluable to God. See, you might be worthless in your own sight because of what you, you have done, but God is able to see what you were created to be. God is able to see what he can remake you to be. In the parable of the lost sheep, I know you're thinking, I really don't like kind of being compared to a, a sheep here. Well, well, in the context of this story, in this time to these shepherds, that sheep had tremendous value. See, a shepherd would put his life on the line for his sheep. In the story of the widow, uh, it's a coin. Probably fell down in the cushions of the couch. Isn't that where we all go when we need a little change? You know, we just lift up the cushion. It's probably right in there. What's the big deal? She had nine others. Well, this coin was about a day's wage. And if you've ever misplaced your wallet, even temporarily, you know the panic that goes into your mind when you lost something of value. See, over and over again in these parables, we see you are priceless. You are valuable. 
See, God will allow us to make our own choices, but God also shows us how much we are valued. Some of you know from experience the pain of losing a child, and I cannot imagine the pain that you've been through. I cannot imagine that loss, but it is with this very picture that God is saying that you're even more precious to him as a child is to his parent. See, when something's lost, isn't the value intensified? When we, when we lose something, it becomes that much more important to us. We become fixated on it. We, we, we don't want to think about anything else. Our schedule is rearranged when we lose something of value because we have to find it. See, the next truth that we see here that brings a ton of hope is that God searches for you. The theme of the search is significant in all three of these stories. When the shepherd lost something, he left the 99 to go find it. When the coin was lost, the widow begins to sweep and clean the entire house until she finds it. The father was looking into the distance for any sign of his son returning to him. There's a story of in 1981, radio stations across Minnesota started running ads looking for a car that had been stolen. The, sto- the, the car was a 1981, it was a Volkswagen Bug. And the police put great resources into trying to locate this car that was stolen. See, on the front seat of this car that was stolen, there was a pack of crackers that had been laced with poison. The owner of the car did that because he wanted to use those crackers to catch a rodent in his house. And there was a great deal of effort put into finding the guy who stole the car because they were so concerned about his well-being. Not that they were concerned about recovering the car as much as they were concerned about the life and the well-being of the one who did this man wrong and who stole his car. See, when we run from God, we often feel it's to escape his punishment. But what we're actually doing is eluding his rescue. That's the way it is with God. If you're away from him, he's searching for you. He's not looking for you so that he can punish you. He's looking for you in order to rescue you. In fact, that's the very reason that Jesus came to earth, to seek and to save what? That which was lost. So he searches for us. And here's the really, really good news. As he's searching for us, he wants to welcome us home. Look in verse 14. So we, we see that the son had went off and he had spent everything in a famine hit and hard time came and he got a job caring for pigs and he was so desperate he began to eat the food that was intended for the pigs. But in verse 14, we see he went, he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him off into the field to feed the pigs, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. So this son hits rock bottom. And he's thinking, man, if I was home, even if I was one of my dad's servants, I would eat better than I'm eating right now. And he planned this whole speech. Okay, so I'm going to go and I'm going to beg for forgiveness. And I'm going to say, dad, just give me a job being one of your servants and just give me something to eat. And and he's got this whole moment planned of how he's just going to grovel before his father. Please just take me back. Anything you will give me. And the boy gets to his father, and and, and he tries to make this speech. And as he's approaching the house, his father sees him from a distance. And check out what happens here in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. Here's the son coming. Oh, my gosh, what's my father going to do? Is he going to slam the door in my face? Is he going to turn me away? Is he going to start yelling at me? Is he going to punish me? What is my father going to do? And before the son even gets to the home, the father sees him, and the father comes running to him, and he's running to him with his arms open to embrace him. And this speech that the son prepared, he's trying to get it out and check out what happens here. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father here is like interrupting him. And he says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For the son of mine that was dead is now alive. He was lost and he is found. So they all began to celebrate. The father welcomes him not with, 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 uh, with reprimand. The father welcomes him with love. If you're here today and you're preparing some kind of I'm sorry speech for the day that that you get up enough nerve to come back to the presence of God and say, God, I'm sorry for walking away from you. God, I'm sorry for denying you. I'm sorry for being disobedient to you. I want you to know that you won't even get that speech out before your loving father will wrap his arms around you and say, my child, I love you. Welcome home. See, God will not only welcome you home, but the last thing we see here is he will welcome you home with great celebration. Notice in all of these stories, these three verses, in every story, whenever what was lost was found, there was great rejoicing. In verse 7, it says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In the story of the lost son, the father says, let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine who was dead is alive. He who was lost is found. So they began to celebrate. 
You know what will happen if you've taken a step away from God, whether it's one step or a hundred steps. As you return to him, there will be great celebration. There will be great rejoicing. I remember when Courtney and I had our first child. And I traveled a lot at the time. And I was traveling uh, to the Middle East, and I was traveling to Europe, and I was traveling on uh, student ministry camps, and I was traveling to speak different places. And I remember everything changed, and I wasn't prepared for it, for when I had my first child, and, and I stayed home for a while, and Kason was in the hospital for several months, and, and we, we were just praying to God. We weren't sure if he was going to live or not, and we said, God, do a miracle, and God did a miracle, and we got to bring him home, and there was great rejoicing when we brought him home, but I remember the first time I had to go on a trip somewhere. It was unlike any trip I've ever been on before, because the whole time I was gone, I was preoccupied. I can't wait to be home to be with my son. I can't wait to see him. I miss him dearly. I miss him desperately. And I'm looking at his picture all the time and I'm thinking about it. And I remember the day that I got home. And I think Courtney got a quick kiss because, of course, I missed her too. But I remember picking him up and holding him in my arms and wrapping my arms around him and being so delighted and just wanting to celebrate because I was with my son whom I dearly, dearly loved. You need to know today that as much as your pastor wants you to hear this message that there is great rejoicing when you return to the Father Even more than Chuck wanting you to hear that, you have a heavenly father that demonstrated his love for you and that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. He gave everything for you so that he could love you, so that you could know him, so that you could have life and life abundant in him. And he's given everything to you and he is longing for the day that he can pick you up on your two feet and kiss you on the forehead and pull you up into his lap and wrap his arms around you and just say, my child, I love you. I receive you. I forgive you. Let's experience this life together. If you're here today and the desire of your heart is to step back into the arms of your heavenly father, let me share with you how you can do that. First, simply to confess to him that you've been away from him. Simply say, God, I'm sorry. You don't need some long speech. He already knows your heart. But simply step toward him and say, God, I am sorry. Second, would you tell him that you want to turn around and you want to come home? Would you ask him to forgive your sins according to his death on the cross for you? And then would you invite Jesus as a resurrected Lord of your life? to come into your heart and come into your life and thank him for receiving you into his family as his child. Does God love you? Absolutely. And he has demonstrated that love by giving everything so that you can know him. Let's bow our heads together. Father God, we thank you for the incredible message. Thank you that the story in the story is us. 
Father, thank you that you desperately want to know us. You want us to know you. You desperately want to give to us. You desperately want to bless us. You desperately want us to experience life in you. And Father God, we know that if anyone here today, whether they've taken one step away or a hundred steps, whether they've never walked into your arms before, that today, God, you want there to be a glorious and celebratory reunion. Father God, I pray for the one here today that has never given their heart or their life to you. They've been trying to do life on their own. And they've never received that free gift of relationship and eternal life in you. Father God, I pray that today is the day, even now, that they open their heart to you. And they say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I know my sin separates me from you, but I know that you went to great lengths in demonstrating your love by dying on a cross. And I know that by the shedding of your blood, my sin can be forgiven and my home can be heaven. So God, forgive me. Come into my heart, come into my life and save me right now. Father God, I pray for the one here today that has known you, that has had relationship with you. But somewhere along the way, like that sun, they've taken off. They said, I want to try this my way. I don't want to be bound by, by what my father has for me. I, I, I want to go live life my way. I, I want to live it up. I want to do what I want to do. And God, maybe they find themselves wandering around, desperately needing peace, desperately needing hope, desperately needing your embrace. Father God, I pray that today that you'll give them great boldness and courage, God, to take that one step that it takes to be back into your arms. And Father God, I pray that as they do that, that they will know that there will be great rejoicing, a great reunion, and great fellowship with the one who loves them more than anyone else ever could or anyone else ever would. God, I pray that today all across this room and God, for those watching online right now in their kitchen, in their living room, in their car, that right now today, God, people will take steps to you. They'll feel your embrace and they will experience the wonderful love and wonderful grace and wonderful mercy and wonderful reunion their heavenly father right now as we sing this last song I want to encourage you to take that step today it starts with taking the step in your heart but I want to encourage you if you would say today I want to come to the Lord or I want to return to the Lord I want to encourage you to even take a physical step representing your commitment to return to your Heavenly Father. I tell you, I'm going to be down front. We also have some other staff and ministry leaders around. If you would like to come and just make the front up here an altar, a place where you say, God, I'm physically returning to you. Have my heart, have all of me. 
man, we would love to encourage you. We would love to pray for you. But as we sing this song, would you return, would you run to the arms of your father?